heads for prayer. Father, we come before you with gratefulness that we can gather like this to worship you. We can bring the Bible with us and study it and learn together. We thank you for revealing yourself to us through your written word. For this morning, as the Lord has preached, that you would speak to the needs in our hearts. You know what is in our hearts. You know our faults and our failures and our weaknesses. We just call upon you to, to continue to lead us and guide us. Uh, bless Brother John as he delivers this message. Give him strength, give him understanding and wisdom and guide the words from his mouth that they would serve the purpose that you have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <coughs> Good morning. Welcome to everyone. Maybe welcome to myself, too, after being gone for a couple weeks. Uh, once by choice, but the second not so much. And a uh, little better, but pray for me this morning. Try and keep my voice going for a few minutes here. Uh, we as a family would like to thank you all for your generosity over this Christmas season. Um, the gifts felt, may I say, more abundant. Uh, I'm not sure if that was a result of the attitudes of the givers or of us as receivers, but we do feel very blessed, so I want to thank you as a church for that. And that giving, combined with the time that our family could spend over the holidays, gave me the idea for the sermon today. My wife's sister and husband and family graciously opened their home to us for five days and nights. Their daughters gave up their bedroom so my wife and I could have a bed. And I think they slept on the floor or something in the toy room. So we tend to kind of take this kind of hospitality for granted. Maybe we even kind of expect it um, from friends and families. Um, hopefully we don't overstay our welcome at times. We might call hospitality a Mennonite tradition or value, but in fact it is a biblical teaching. It's commonly found in both the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. Today I want to look at some examples of both generosity and hospitality that we find throughout the Bible. They come in all shapes and sizes. Some are big, some are much smaller. And a person's generosity is determined more by their attitude than by their resources. And as we see in this first scripture here, let's look at what Jesus himself had to say about hospitality generosity. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 25. chapter 25 verses 31 through 46 and if you would please stand with me as we read the scripture here Matthew 25 verse 31 when the son of man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from, from another as the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, and he will say, he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and gave you drink? When do we see you a stranger and took you in, or naked and clothed you? Or when do we see you sick or in prison and came to you? And the king will answer them and say, Assuredly, I say to you, as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Thank you. You can be seated. So this passage here is referring to a time somewhere in the future when Jesus will judge mankind. And depending on your point of view, this may be an earlier judgment, not the final one. I'm not going to get into that this morning. But we see here that he is judging one from the other, and he appears to judge them according to what they have or have not done. And he lists six things here, feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, providing shelter for the homeless or the traveler, clothing the needy, visiting the sick, and ministering to those in prison. Now all of these fall into the categories of either generosity or hospitality, so apparently, um, this is fairly serious stuff here. Now we know that what we do does not save us, nor does what we do directly condemn us or not do. So I don't believe Jesus is judging these people here directly for doing or not doing these things. Interesting enough, neither group seems to know exactly what he is referring to when he tells them these things, which would indicate to me that this is a lifestyle, not necessarily intentional deeds that they did or did not do. Um, this is how they lived their life without really realizing possibly what they were doing or not doing. They both say to him, um, but to both then, he says, these things are or are not the fruit of your lives. These are the things that you do, sometimes maybe almost automatically, in your day-to-day -day activities. The question for us, do you naturally turn toward or away from a need if you see it? Do you look for opportunities to help someone or to take advantage of them? Are you a giver or a taker? I know this varies some with personalities. Some people are more naturally gifted in the area of generosity, and that's good. We need those people. We appreciate them. But Jesus doesn't appear to give much exception to those who might say, well, generosity isn't really my gift here. Um, he does not give an exception for that kind of response here. Jesus says if we are to identify him, with him, we must have these qualities. This must be our lifestyle. We must, as the one group did here, have these fruits evident in our lives. And he appears to, Jesus appears to view these fruits as a, one of the deciding factors in our eternal destinies. 
Now, this is a very familiar passage here. As I read and reread this a few times, I kind of say freaked out at the importance that he places on doing these things. This is not really an optional thing um, if we do what he's asking us to here. This is really, I guess, quite essential. And if we skip back a few chapters to Matthew chapter 22, we see this explained in a way. Matthew 22, verses 34. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and said, Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So loving God comes first. We know that. Um, without that, nothing else really counts for anything. But verse 39, he says, the second commandment is like unto. The second commandment being um, loving your neighbor. The, the New Living says the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then in verse 40, he says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Hang the entire law. The Old Testament law of Moses, Jesus' New Testament teaching, and even our laws today fall into these two categories of obeying and submitting to authority, loving God um, and those that are in authority, and then treating others honestly, fairly, kindly as we would wish to be treated. Um, if you really stop and maybe stretch your imagination a little bit, I think all of our laws would fall under that. You know, no stealing, um, even speeding is, is kind of maybe a little selfish. Either you didn't plan well enough or or you're, somehow your, your arrival is more important than somebody else's safety. So I think if, we, if we're honest, we can see that most of even today's laws would fall under these two categories. So God's demands are extremely simple. Love him above all else, and then love everyone else as much as you love yourself. And that is difficult. We know that as humans. If we do those two things, we will have no trouble finding ourselves naturally falling into the first group in Matthew 25, those that Jesus said, you did these to others, and so you have done them to me as well. The title today is taken directly from Romans chapter 12. I won't read the chapter of Romans, but it speaks of presenting ourselves as sacrifices to God, serving God with our respect, respective spiritual gifts that he has given us, and then functioning together as a body and simply living as Christians should live to those around us and to those outside of us as well. And then verse 13, if we look it up, which says, Always be ready to help when need arises and to be given to hospitality. And the New Living says, eager to practice hospitality. Now, eager, I know, seems a bit over the top sometimes, but it says we should be eager we should be eager to be hospitable. Given to hospitality is also found in 1 Timothy, the third chapter, and also Titus chapter 1, that exact little phrase, given to hospitality. Um, Timothy and Titus are both laying out qualifications for church leaders. And while as leaders should be good examples in this area, these passages are saying to choose someone who already is practicing hospitality. It's not something that should be learned only once you're in a leadership position. 
both of these indicate that this habit should be well established throughout the entire church. And other scriptures, again, we could look at, say much more of the same about hospitality. I don't want to repeat myself by saying it over and over. So I want to look at a few examples of hospitality throughout the Bible. As I said before, this is meant to encourage you in this area, um, not to discourage anyone because of realistic limitations that we might have, whether whatever those might be, you know yourself. But let's start with um, Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. Now, in the previous chapters, God had promised Abraham a son. He had made a covenant with him. He had promised him a future, future generations. And we know the story. Abraham lost patience with God and went ahead and had Ishmael, which was not God's plan. And that's kind of leading up to this. And then Genesis chapter 18, the first eight verses, then the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the terabith trees in memory as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, bought himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by on your servant. Please let little water be brought, wash your feet, rest yourselves under the tree, and I will bring a morsel of bread that, that you may refresh your hearts. And after that, you may pass by insomuch as you have come to your servant. And they said, Do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set them before them, and they stood by them under the tree while they ate. Then the story goes on um, to tell about their message there. Now, Abraham here had some very special visitors. Um, I don't think he realized at first exactly who they were. Uh, he was resting in the heat of the day, probably after lunch, when three men suddenly appeared before him, and Abraham wasted no time in reaching out to their immediate needs. And as was customary in the land where sandals were worn, most traveling was done by walking, he started first by bringing water to wash their feet. That was a, a cleanly thing, but also kind of a refreshing thing. Um, wash their feet, make them feel comfortable as the food was being prepared. Now, they had just missed lunch. And ladies, you know, which, which is more annoying? Um, guests that show up just in time to eat for a meal or guests that show up right after the meal has been cleaned up. Um, neither, neither is necessarily always appreciated. So according to what we read here, this was Jesus himself with two angels so they must have chose that time of day for good reason. I don't know why. Maybe it was to test their hospitality. I don't know. But Abraham asked Sarah to quickly bake a few things, and he himself went off to get some fresh meat. So, men, it's probably also a good idea if you help out, if you ask your wife to make a meal between meals. So Abraham helped out in that way here as well. So this was quite a feast they cooked up. I mean, it was fresh bread. It was, it was fresh lamb, or a calf beef there. Took some time, no doubt, but these men um, waited patiently, did not state their business before they had eaten. And this was quite common in those days. And doing some research, it's interesting, there's kind of an expected code of conduct that strangers and hosts followed in that time. Um, villages were expected to welcome travelers. 
when we say villages, uh, Abraham and his family basically had almost their own village there. So as people came along, it was expected that they would welcome them. There were a few other places of rest or safety in a, a land that was you know, not populated um, like it is today. And the offer to a stranger of hospitality and then that stranger's acceptance changed him from a potential enemy to a friend. The stranger could refuse, but that would be viewed as rudely as if the host would not have offered that in the first place, and things tended to kind of go downhill from there. Um, tensions would rise, conflicts would rise, and it was not a good situation. So the host was expected to offer hospitality. The traveler was then expected to graciously accept that. It was not considered polite for the guest to ask for anything, and yet the host was expected to provide the best that he was able. So if you came asking, that was rude, and yet, as a host, you were expected to provide as well as what you could. The guest would then, after he was served, be expected to respond with good news or greetings from afar. Remember, that was some of their only means of getting messages, getting news from outside of their little world, is by these traveling guests. So that was a time of exchanging news and kind of getting up to date on what was happening around them. The host was not to ask personal questions of the guest. I'm not sure what all the reasons were there. I'm not sure if the guest could ask of the host, but at least that was the way it was there. And the guest remained under the protection of the host for the duration of his stay. So the guest became almost like one of the family in that if something happened, enemies attacked, the host would protect the guest same as he would the rest of his family. So interesting, I uh, came across that. A lot of those rules maybe still would be good for us today. So the story continues. The angels brought very mixed news. They brought good news of Abraham and Sarah finally having a son, but they brought bad news of the coming destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And as they went to those cities, they found the same invitation, if we continue reading, the same open invitation from Lot. As he visited the uh, city of Sodom, Lot invited them in, but as we know, they got a much different welcome from the men of that city. Unfortunately, Lot's hospitality could not stop the destruction of his home and his city there. So a lot more involved in that story, but just interesting to see um, the steps that Abraham went through as he welcomed those visitors in there. Next story is in 1 Kings 17. Kings 17, then Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, At the Lord God, as, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not do nor reign these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows in the Jordan. It will be you that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flowed into Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook, and it happened after a while the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongeth to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded the widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. 
And as she was going to get it, he called after her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake for it first, and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the oil jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. So we know the story again. Um, Elijah went and prophesied judgment upon Ahab, and Elijah must have known that a three-year drought um, and then the famine that undoubtedly happens after that is going to affect him as well. Yet he went ahead and did as God asked him to. And God provided for him, uh, gave him a place where the birds brought him food and meat and by a brook, and eventually even that little brook dried up. We see that God waited until the brook was completely dried up before he gave him his next direction, which was to go and find this widow. Sort of interesting that God would choose a widow to care for him. Uh, one might think that a widow in the middle of a famine might be the least likely person able to offer any kind of hospitality. And indeed, she did not offer. Um, Elijah broke the rules, and he asked for water and for bread. The water he got, but not the bread. She was apparently one meal away from starving. So why did Elijah ask to eat first if he knew that her flour and oil wouldn't run out? Um, was he that hungry? I doubt he was hungry enough to eat the, last, the widow's last meal away from her. And yet she did as he asked. She fed him with the last of her food, and God continued to bless her then with just enough. Um, I find it interesting is that it says here, it doesn't say that her bin of flour was full after she did this, only that it wasn't used up. And I get the idea that she still had to scrape the bottom, scrape the corners every day, and yet she continued to have enough to feed herself as well as an extra mouth. So lessons here. Um, I'm sure she felt that she was one of the poorest of the poor. Um, a single mother had a son to support, and yet God still directed Elijah to her um, God still asks us to share, even if we feel like we don't have anything, and she didn't. Um, Elijah asked for his share first. That's just, I still find that interesting. Um, it seems kind of rude, uh, but I think he was testing her. If you think about it, she probably had no doubt counted out the number of days her flower and her life would last, and she was down to um, that last cup of flour. Now here comes this guy, and he wants the first meal, which is essentially shortening her life by one day. Um, had he come a day later, she could tell him, no, uh, I'm sorry, there's no flour left. But he came just in time, but he took the last of it. Uh, and yet she gave first, relying on faith that uh, Elijah's promise that just enough would hold true. Uh, and it did. And we know that giving when there is just enough isn't easy. And it doesn't cause us necessarily to all of a suddenly have plenty. Um, her, like I said, her bin of flour did not all of a sudden become full. I'm sure it would have been much, much easier to feed an extra mouth 
had she been scooping off the top of a full bin. But each day, she was cleaning out the bottom, and there was always just enough. Um, but God is faithful in keeping just enough there if we give in honor of him. On the other side of the financial spectrum, then, we have a woman named Lydia. If we look at Acts chapter 16, we have a, a very short account here. Acts chapter 16, verse 13 and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside. This is Paul and his companions to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who, welcomed, who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, Come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So again, very little information about this lady except that she sold purple. And if we do a little research there, we know that purple was one of the costliest and hardest to produce colors in the ancient times. There was no such thing as synthetic dyes. It was all made naturally. And my understanding is purple was made by collecting these special little sea snails and cracking them open, getting some of the gooey stuff out, leaving it in the sun for just the right amount of time, and eventually they had this purple dye. And it took as many as a quarter million snails to make one ounce of purple dye. So I don't know how many ounces it took to produce one garment, probably not a full ounce, but point being, a lot of man hours went into making purple clothing, which was why we read of kings and royalty wearing purple, that was why. Um, so somehow this lady had got herself in a position of selling a very high-end product, as we would call. And her customers would obviously have been extremely wealthy, as no one else could afford her product. And yet the Sabbath found her down by the river with the common folk, uh, worshiping with the new believers. And it says that the Lord opened her heart. And then one of the interesting, the, the first thing she did at that, after being baptized, was then in turn to open her house in an act of hospitality to Paul and to his companions. So I just, I don't think that's a coincidence there, but I don't know that what type of lady she was, if she was selfish or generous before this, but when she became a Christian, God laid it upon her to practice hospitality, and she immediately did that. She allowed God to use what he had blessed her with to then bless others. She had way more than just enough, and yet she did not hoard it only for herself. And lastly, um, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 38, the end. Now it happened as they, Jesus' his disciples, entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named, called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care my sister has left me to serve you alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are so worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Now again, the story of Mary and Martha, um, this is for all of you who aren't naturally 
gifted at serving can say, see, Jesus himself said it's better to sit than it is to serve. And, and yes, he did say that here. Um, but Jesus knew the two sisters better than what we do. And he apparently um, knew their hearts. And he knew what their motives were. Um, what is our ultimate purpose in serving others? Uh, is it whether it be entertaining guests, cooking wonderful food, providing a great experience for somebody? Are we doing it to bless them or to show off my wonderful hospitality? We don't know the hearts and motives of these two sisters, but like I said, apparently Jesus knew them fairly well. And he reminded them that hospitality is first and foremost about honoring the guest. And that's what Mary was doing. She was honoring Jesus as the guest. Uh, Martha was attempting to do that as well, um, but possibly maybe had more to do with her agenda than actually what the guest was there for. So hospitality is simple, the practical application of God's command to love others above ourselves, to bless them, not to display how blessed I am. And I said at the beginning, most of us have been raised in a culture where a strong hospitality has been the norm, and that's good. We are known by that, even to the world around us. So let's continue to use our blessings to bless others, and in doing so, to reflect the honor back to the author of hospitality, which is God himself. Let's stand for prayer and then remain standing for the final song. Father in heaven, thank you again for all the ways that we have been blessed. Thank you for the many examples that we are given in the Bible of generosity, people who gave not only from their abundance, but also from their poverty. Help us to remember that giving is not about bringing praise to us, but about honoring you. We want you to have the honor and glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.